so worthy, so deserving of our trust, of our loyalty. We're going to open the Bible and listen to the words of Jesus, the very things He said to people struggling with hard questions, as you'll see in a minute in Family Fights. So let's ask for His blessing. Let's ask for His Word to be clear in the way we read it and the way I try to explain it, and best of all, that we would hear it and obey it. Can we pray like that? Father, thank You for giving us the gift of worship, the gift of one another to encourage each other, to pray for one another, to bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill, Lord Jesus, Your instructions. We have the great privilege of opening Your Word, hearing, listening, reading in our own language the very words You address to people like ourselves. Help us to listen, and most of all, best of all, help us to obey. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, I am thrilled to be back for all kinds of reasons, including the fact that I was in Phoenix last Sunday. <laughs> and if, if you don't know what I mean by that, just check the weather app on your phone. Please do it later, not right now. Uh, we, we delivered my older son to college there, and they were setting and tying August heat records in Phoenix. Which that's, at this point, that's kind of like breaking Olympic records, you know. They've been keeping those for a while, and it's pretty impressive. And on the 117 day, he said, Dad, this city should not exist. <laughs> he said, it's a tribute to man's arrogance. And I thought, you know, he's right, because a long time ago, People went into that cauldron and said, we'll stop and we'll build it right here, right in the furnace. Uh, but today, I trust while we're in worship, he's going to church himself. We were with a wonderful church there, and being with them uh, again reminded me of how privileged and blessed I am to be here with you. So, uh, thank you for those of us, uh, those of you who have encouraged us over these last couple of days. And now I I need you this morning to pay attention to Jesus. For the next three weeks, we're going to move expositionally through a large section of the 12th chapter of Luke's gospel. If you have your Bible, you can open it there, Luke chapter 12. If you don't have a Bible with you, there should be one near you underneath the seats, so please help yourself and let's pay attention to Jesus, and let's see how you take it compared to the first service. Let me tell you on the front side that what Jesus is talking about is money. Yeah, that was about the same level of enthusiasm <laughs> that, uh, that the first service had. In three different teaching sections, Jesus, the master teacher, is literally in this morning's reading is going to take an interruption from the crowd. Somebody's going to shout to him from the crowd, and he is going to take it to use it as an immense teaching moment. Like all good parents, once you've mopped up the blood and comforted everybody and hugs have been given around after the upset, after the interruption, you can be well positioned to learn something. And if I say, from the pulpit of a church, Jesus is talking about money, a lot of you instinctively and with good reason are going to put your guard up, yes? Maybe not literally, but I get that. There are a lot of shenanigans done in the name of Jesus by people who, frankly, if they ever knew Him, do not represent Him well. 
twist his words, and actually directly contradict what he's going to teach us this morning in seeking to better themselves and further their own little empire rather than seeking God's kingdom. So let me invite you instead to just listen to Jesus. This passage, frankly, is a, it's a hard passage, and you'll see why. It involves someone's direct life in the middle of a family fight. They tried to get Jesus into a family fight, and you'll see why I say that in just a moment. And Jesus told a parable. A parable is a story that He made up, something that did not happen, but actually illustrates something that is very real and very actual. A fictitious story that illustrates and teaches us the way about a very real personal truth about money. And everyone on earth struggles with this. Every disciple of Jesus and people who don't know Him as well, they struggle more than most because money has its way of wrapping itself around your life, of making you believe the wrong things about money and about life. But first, in Luke chapter 12 and verse 13, somebody's going to try to get Jesus into a family fight about money. Read with me Luke chapter 12, verse 13. Jesus has been teaching His disciples. He's been teaching a crowd, and it says in verse 13, someone in the crowd said to Him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Now, these are real people. They live long ago, but they're ordinary, real people with real problems. It's a big public setting. Jesus has been teaching, and somebody shouts and interrupts him and says, Teacher, Rabbi, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. You ever been in a family fight about money? My family has. We have in our extended family someone who once stood over a deathbed and argued about the china while the person who owned the China honor struggled for her last breath, okay? So, I, I get this. I've heard those conversations. I've heard that, those bitter comments, the sarcasm. Now, in Jesus' day, rabbis were often called to mediate disputes, to give wisdom and mediation when people were having problems. But if you look carefully at what this guy's shouting in the middle of the crowd, right in front of God and everybody, as my uncle as one of my uncles used to say, he's not asking for mediation, he's asking for representation. Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Does that sound reasonable to you? Does that seem like a reasonable request? Yeah, right? I mean, mom wanted us both to have it. Why are you keeping it? Okay? That seems to be the heart of the complaint. But he said to him, man who made me a judge or arbitrator over you. Jesus getting involved? Okay, folks, you're doing your best impression of an oil painting, and I need you to be a congregation, all right? I had the same problem in the first service. I know it's something I'm doing wrong. I'm going to try to fix it. But I'm going to be asking you some questions along the way, and I need you to engage it because we're building, as, as in all of Jesus' teachings, we're building toward the point. Right now, there's a problem and an interruption. Somebody shouts to Jesus, tell my brother to share the inheritance. Jesus said, I'm not getting involved. I'm not your judge. I'm not your arbitrator. 
Just like that, he's done with it. Here's where the teaching starts to get uncomfortable. Ready? Someone once said that the gospel was to comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. Okay? So if you're comfortable, look at what Jesus said next. And he said to them, not to the man, he's already dealt with that. He's dismissed it. Do you see it? He said to them, he said to the whole crowd, here's the teaching point, high school students, junior high students, people in their first job, people who desperately need a job, people who have student loans and have no idea how to repay them, everyone in the crowd, all ages, all seasons, all needs, he said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. What's Jesus saying? He's saying, watch out for greed. Take care and be on your guard. Two phrases, not one. Be careful and keep your guard up against all kinds of covetousness, all kinds of wanting, all kinds of greed, because here's the trouble with greed, folks. Like every other kind of sin, greed makes you forget the facts about life. That is the nature of sin. It blinds you to the truth or it makes you ignore or forget the truth. There is a truth. God has a point of view. God has the truth about every matter in our lives. He's the creator. He knows us. He knows what life and death look like. He knows what health and illness and every single facet of human existence. Believe you me, God has a way. That's why it says elsewhere in Scripture, this is the way, walk in it. Every issue that you deal with, every single one, God has a way through it. But it has to be His way, not yours. And when you are tempted to sin, what you are being tempted to do is to be blind to or ignore or forget the truth of what God has said. And what Jesus is saying in verse 15 is, be very careful he says to the crowd, without indicating the man directly, the reason I'm being lured into a family fight is there's covetousness in this family. It's not a matter of fairness. It's not a matter of family dynamics. There is greed at the heart of this dispute. How do you think the guy in the crowd felt at this point? He got far more than he bargained for. And so it is with Jesus. He speaks clearly because He loves us. He wants us to know the truth. He wants us to know the facts about life. Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness for, here's the first truth about life and money and possessions. Jesus said, one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Garner translation, our stuff is not our life. And in America, we believe that it is. Frankly, I think it's a worldwide thing. I read the testimony of a missionary in urban Mexico, in fact, in the dumps of Mexico City. Everyone in that community lived literally among the trash, and one guy had managed to steal electricity and make a wire run down into his tar paper shack. And as soon as he got his tar paper shack electrified, he stopped talking to the neighbors because they were poorer than he was. Covetousness is a real thing. You don't have to be rich to be covetous. 
You can be amazingly rich and very generous, or you can be poor and barely making it and be covetous at all seasons in all things. Covetousness is always inviting you to believe this simple lie, that your life is measured, your life is worth what you can pile up here. And Jesus says, it's not. One's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And then he told them a parable. Verse 16, he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. Pay attention to every word, and for a parable to work, try to see it in your man's, in your mind's eye. What kind of man are we talking here? What is his station in life? He's a rich guy, and he's a landowner, and he has crops, and how are they doing? They're doing well. The rich get richer. Have you ever heard that? It's always been true. The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do, for I have nowhere to store my crops? Is that a problem? It is a problem. The point of farming is to bring the crops in. If they're so plentiful that they're going to rot in the field, that's not the point of farming. Nobody farms, and God does not expect farmers to farm so that the land and the produce are spoiled. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. Now, somehow this parable ties back to this problem, this interruption, and the simple observation from Jesus that our stuff is not our life. And he says, there was once a rich man who owned a great deal of land, and that land was producing so plentifully that he ran out of storage room. So he thought to himself, Time to expand. Business is good. The graph points straight up. We need more storage. I will build for myself. I will tear down my barns, build larger ones, store all my grain and my goods. Anything wrong so far? All right. This is why I like to study the Bible with you guys. We've got yes and no, and we've got yo. Somebody's trying to split the difference. <laughs> They can't figure it out between yes and no. Somebody said, yo, I heard it, or maybe that was a greeting. I'm not sure. <laughs> so far, this looks like good, normal, successful, blessed life. The point of the parable is not to flesh out every detail. It's to put you in a real-life situation for you to imagine a real-life story, and to learn something from it. So far, we have a rich man who is doing well. He needs more storage for his crops, and he plans to expand. So far, so good. And, he, and I will say to my soul, soul, you have made ample goods. You have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. How does that sound? Really? See, when I read that from the 21st century perspective, doesn't that sound like the American dream? Isn't that what you're working for? Don't read the end of the story. Don't jump to the punchline. Let's, let's live with the crowd for a second. Wouldn't you like to say to yourself, whew, it's all covered. I've got plenty. 
I will say to myself, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. That's what almost everybody is working for on earth. He's going to put his feet up. If he's a church-going man, he's going to say, God's been good. He's going to say, bring me the best, and it's time to enjoy it. What this man forgot is something else that greed makes you forget, and that is this. Our stuff is in our hands for a very short time. See, he thought he made two mistakes. He thought that what he had was his, and he thought he had time to enjoy it. Neither of those things were true. But first of all, we need to hear this story in our own lives. In the 90s, I remember when I was in college on the heady economic days of the 80s where everybody seemed to be doing better than they were a generation earlier, there was a little bumper sticker that I used to see on really nice cars, and I remember it because of what it said and also the fact that sometimes people ruined beautiful cars by putting this bumper sticker on them. And that just, that just didn't make sense to me. You've got adhesive on that beautiful paint job now. What are you going to do? Here's what the bumper sticker said. Maybe you've seen it. It says, he who dies with the most toys wins. That's what this man thought. He kicked back in the living room from the vantage point of the winner. He is the victor. I made it. I get to relax now. Eat, drink, and be merry. You have things for many years. And you need to be careful with that because that's what greed tells you. Here's the truth. He who dies with the most toys dies. (laughs) And that's it. And the toys no longer belong to you. When you die, the toys don't go in the box. The toys stay for somebody else to play with, and you go in the box. (laughs) That's the way it works. And here's the twist in the story. You ready? In every parable, there's a twist. So far, we've got this very earthly, admirable story. You've got a man who has worked hard or maybe at least taken advantage of blessings that were given to him by his previous generations. Farming is hard work. If his land has produced plentifully, it's because somebody at his direction worked very hard. It has been so good that now we need more storage. And we have, if we're going to take advantage of all that the land under God's grace has provided, we're going to need more storage. So far, so good. But then he speaks to himself. Notice the pronouns. He is only keeping his own counsel. He is only listening to himself, and he is only speaking to himself, but he is going to be interrupted in verse 20. That's the twist. Look in verse 20. It says, but God said to him, fool. You see why I tell you this is a hard story? This looked like the American dream until God spoke. And God spoke to a man who by every measure had achieved great success. If he lived in our day, he would be a very desired friendship. They would want to see him at the Chamber of Commerce. If he lived in an HOA, they would want him on the board. 
If people were doing investments, they might want his advice. Farmers would certainly want to hear from him how you did it and how can I do it too. It all looks good. God intervenes and says, fool, this night your soul is required of you and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? Fools, very, very strong language in the Bible. In fact, Jesus told his disciples to not call people fools. He said, if you, a simple, ordinary disciple, a normal, forgiven sinner, if you call your brother fool, you're in danger of hellfire. But God, who knows everything and who is the final word on life, interrupts this man's enjoyment. Before he even got comfortable in his chair and the first great glass of wine was served, God intervened and said, you fool. And what follows is economic language. It says, yeah, the idea is this, you have been given much. Much has been placed into your hands. You're going to give an account for it tonight. And all the things that you prepared, who's going to have that? And the answer is, and that's the point of the parable, not him. Maybe his kids. Maybe somebody else. It's well known to financial planners that the third generation of wealthy people tend to lose the money. The first generation earns it. The second generation respects it because they saw how much it costs. The third generation can be gone in a second. That's the way it is. Whatever your stuff is, it is in your hands for just a little while. Everything you treasure, including the breath you're drawing right now to listen to me teach this simple parable from the Bible, understand that is only temporary. At some point in your life, God is going to show up in your life and say, tonight your soul is required of you, and you don't want to hear Him tell you that you have lived foolishly. Get that, church? Everyone's going to give an account, but you will give an account as either a wise manager or a foolish manager, because the second thing that greed makes you forget is that our stuff is in our hands for just a little while. The Bible says this all over in all kinds of different ways. My favorite, perhaps, because of how picturesque it is, is in Proverbs. In fact, I want you to read a Bible verse with me. Proverbs chapter 23, it's right up here. Here's a good one for people working jobs. Here's a good one for people looking for jobs, for people who have not yet started their careers, who are thinking, if I can get the right kind of career, if I can make myself employable, I'm going to get the right stuff. Here's the wisdom of Proverbs. Read it with me. It says, don't wear yourself out to get rich. Stop giving your attention to it. As soon as your eyes fly to it, it disappears, for it makes wings for itself and flies like an eagle to the sky. Ooh. That's a troubling word picture, isn't it? Whatever you're wearing yourself out for, the wisdom of Proverbs says this, understand that that earthly possession that you love so much, here's an interesting exercise. Imagine that it sprouts wings and flies off right in front of you. And you're grasping for the air, hoping for it to come back. Listen, whatever that is for you, it's a little silly, but it's illustrative. I practiced it a couple times this week. Whatever it is that you treasure on earth so much, that you love, that you find so much joy in, maybe it's your house. 
And that would certainly be understandable because good gravy, it costs a lot of money to live here. I explained mortgages in Phoenix to my son and he understood why people live there. <laughs> That's why we get so upset when the weather gets to 82 because we're killing ourselves trying to enjoy the good climate so when the climate's not good, the deal's been broken and there we are. Maybe it's your house. Here's what can happen to that house. You can imagine that house sprouting two giant wings and flying off and be gone in a moment. Maybe, and this is usually for guys, not always, but typically men have their car. And finally, after a lifetime of putting the ever-loving kids first, finally you've got that car and it's leather and beautiful, and the stereo hugs you as you listen to your favorite band. Listen, is God opposed to wealth? No. The Bible says God has given us richly all things to enjoy. God blesses and prospers. Here's the truth, though, about money. Whether you have a little or whether you have a lot, your life is not measured by what you possess. Whether it's a lot or a little, your life is not measured by what you own, and every single bit of it will be in your hands for just a little while. That house, that car, that computer, whatever it is for you, that you treasure on earth. You can imagine that thing flying off across the Pacific never to be seen again. That's why the wisdom of Proverbs is don't wear yourself out to get rich. Stop giving your attention to it because as soon as your eyes rest on it, your eyes go to it, just like that it can be gone. Just like the man in the parable. He did not know it, but his whole life as, his, as God's steward, as God's manager, was going to be required of him. We're all managers. None of us are owners. Even what you've earned, that belongs to God. Deuteronomy says that it, God gives you the skill. God gives you wisdom and strength to make money. It all belongs to him. How do I know that? Because everything you and I think we own one day will be taken from us. It can be stolen. It can be burned up, or death can intervene, and the manager can be called to account. And then Jesus closes the parable. And this is one of the rare parables where Jesus doesn't want the crowd to miss the point. And this is where I'm going to close, but I'm going to need your help to unpack what Jesus said. Often Jesus tells a parable and he leaves it ringing in their ears for them to ponder what it means. Not this time. This time, Jesus understands this problem of greed blinding people to the fact that our stuff is not our life and that whatever stuff we have, whether it's a lot or a little, is in our hands for a very short time. Jesus actually stops to make the point and tell them why he's telling them this so that they can avoid being fools. I hope this doesn't sound too pedantic or condescending, but are, are you interested in learning how not to have God call you a fool? Wouldn't you rather hear from the words of Jesus as well? Well done, good, and what's it say? Faithful servant. Not an owner, you're a servant. You're a manager, you're not an owner. None of that is yours, but you've been good. If you've been faithful with it, here's Jesus' point, verse 21. Back up a little bit. I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, 
fool. This night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? Here's the point. Jesus turns to the crowd. Parable's over. Here's the point. So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich. What's it say? Toward God. That's a really interesting phrase. Jesus says everyone on this earth who has some of the stuff needs to understand, first of all, that their life is not measured by the stuff and they won't have the stuff for long. And people who treasure up for themselves, this was the man's mistake. Even the pronouns show it. Everything this man thought about was related back to himself. He spoke to himself and he said, self, go enjoy. You've earned this. Have fun. American dream in the first century Jewish culture. It's not an American dream, and it's an expression of the, of the human heart. And what Jesus said, everyone who lives like that will be one day called a fool by God if they lay up treasures for themselves and they are not rich toward God. Bible study time. What on earth might it mean to be rich toward God? First of all, does God need the money? Nope. Bible says things like this. God speaking, mine are the cattle on the hills. Book of Haggai, the gold and the silver are mine. So why in the world would God want earthly, ordinary people who don't have much stuff and only have it for a little while, why would He want us to be generous toward Him? Why would Jesus say that is wise? Why would He say that not being generous toward God is foolish and that you'll end up like the man in the parable? Well, God doesn't need the money, but it might be a little bit like this. One of my kids uh, earned a little money, and that's a beautiful thing in our home when, when other people earn money. <laughs> we love it. And through a series of kindnesses from strangers and a connection from a friend, kid went out and bought himself a really nice pair of sunglasses. And I saw them, and I admired them, and I said, man, those, those look sharp. And he said, you can have them. Now, do I need the sunglasses from the, from the teenager? No, I can get my own. In fact, I have my own. His are nicer. <laughs> How do you think I felt as a father? Amazing. See, it's not a matter of whether I can afford it or whether I need it. What thrilled my heart about that quick conversation was he moved toward generosity and very open-handedly gave them to me. Now, what do you think? Think I kept them? Yes, I did. <laughs> I absolutely did. Here's our agreement. I said, no. He said, anytime you need them, you can use them. And yesterday, I went out, to, uh, went out to the desert area, and I needed them. And I wore them, and listen, every mile driving into the setting sun was a blessing because it reminded me that my kid has a generous heart. God doesn't need your money, folks. But Jesus says, from what God has lavished into your hands for a short time as a manager, not an owner, 
God absolutely expects you to be generous toward Him. By the end of this teaching, as we continue to work through Luke chapter 12 and the book we're inviting you to read from Randy Alcorn from Matthew's version says the exact same thing. Don't store up all the stuff here because it's not at risk. It's a certainty that it will be lost. Everything you have here will be taken from you, all of it. Alcorn says in his book, Rockefeller died, and somebody asked his assistant, how much did Rockefeller leave? The answer was perfect and professional. He said he left all of it. Everybody does. Whether you leave five bucks in the back pocket or you leave billions of dollars, it all stays here. So don't begrudge God what little or what much you have. Understand that whatever it is, what He is looking for is wisdom. He is looking toward generosity toward Him. And here's the best part. You get to enjoy it. You move your earthly treasures into His kingdom. That's what Gregory was reading about earlier from the Gospel of Matthew. Don't store it up here. Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. It's what Jesus famously said in Matthew 6, 33, seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and then what? All these things, all these earthly things, all the things that you need that your Father knows that you need, He's going to add those to you. So listen, the opportunity to give in every instance, including when we give collectively as a church family at the end of a worship service, what you're doing is transferring earthly wealth to heavenly treasure that God amazingly in His generosity will allow you to enjoy forever. What sorts of things does God value? What sorts of things change the destiny of people and the population of heaven preaching the gospel? caring for the orphan, looking out for the widow, being an advocate and a help to the poor. These are the things that are dear to God's heart, and those investments do not stay on earth. They are not taken away from you. They are treasured up in heaven for you somehow to enjoy forever. Martin Luther said it like this. He said, I have held many things in my hands, and I have lost them all, but whatsoever I have placed in God's hands, that I still possess. The point of this parable is this, the only thing you get to keep is what you give to God. You try to clutch it tightly here on earth, you'll find out that it's like trying to hold a fistful of water. The tighter you squeeze, the more quickly it slips through your fingers. Whatever your season in life, whether you're still studying and not at all learning, Whatever it is, what God expects is for you to be generous toward Him. What that might look like sometimes, folks, I, I was very humbled by it. Years ago in Mexico, I remember a crumpled, dirty envelope from one of the village churches with about six pesos in it. Back then, about 70 cents. And I realized that in that subsistence farming community, that probably represented a real hardship for somebody. Do you think God will despise such sacrifices? He won't. The very next thing that Jesus is going to say is that your heavenly Father knows what you need, and He is going to provide for you, that He will not allow you to suffer 
He will provide for you. There may be stress and there may be hardship, but your Father will provide for you. On that confidence, you can be generous toward God, knowing that you'll keep everything you give to Him and what you treasure up to yourself, keeping your own counsel, following the false American dream, that will be irrevocably every single time lost. So I don't know where you are in your relationship with God. Maybe you don't know Jesus at all. What you need to do is turn away from your sin and run to Him in your heart and mind and say, I'm sorry for my sin. I've lived foolishly. I've lived for myself. Save me. Jesus died on the cross to save you from your sin. Run to Him and trust Him as Savior. And if you already know Him as Savior, what Jesus wants in every growing disciple is increasing, growing generosity toward God. That might look like giving for the very first time or someone who has that giving habit very well established and is so comfortable in it they no longer think about it. If you're not thinking about it anymore, and I've certainly been in that situation where it's just an automatic thing, that may or may not be generosity. That may be in, in some cases just routine. What does God want? God wants to praise and reward and point to children of His that whatever the amount is, God can say they are generous toward me because what you will keep is what you give to Him. Can we pray together, please? Can I just give you a second to mull it over? Maybe you don't even have employment right now, and it's hard to keep groceries on the table. Come next week and hear Jesus reassure you that your Father knows that and knows you and will provide for you. What does it look like when it's that tight? What does it look like to be generous toward God? Maybe, like the man in the story, you've got it all lined up. And there is no earthly reason to believe that you'll ever be in any kind of real trouble. God's been good. In your case, what does it look like to be generous toward God? Some disciples need to start giving. Others need to move toward giving a generous percentage. Others need to go beyond that to where giving costs them again and makes them trust God and look for His intervention so that they can continue to see His hand blessing. I heard an amazing story after the first service. I'd like them to share it with you sometime. Here's what I know. Jesus turned to the crowd and said, everyone who's listening, and 2,000 years later, everyone who's reading this, don't be like the rich fool who piled it all up for himself. Be generous toward God. And if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, File all of this away for later. What you need right now is a Savior, someone to forgive you from your sin. If you're not certain of that, call out to Him in prayer right now. Say, Jesus, I'm sorry for my sin. Forgive me. Put me in God's family. Save me. When you move your trust over to Him, He'll hear you and He'll save you as certain as God exists. And whatever you are, however much money you have, however old you are, whatever your life season is. For you, if you know Jesus, your next step is to be generous toward God. Father, speak very clearly to everyone according to their need and their spiritual condition. Some who are struggling to believe that you're real and are here just out of desperation looking for a better answer. 
touch their heart and move their faith over to you from themselves to you? Many of us, Lord, have been blessed like this man in the story has. Others are struggling and fighting to keep our head above water financially. Reassure us, Lord, and help every disciple here move his life and his lifestyle and his choices in a way that God would be able to look on that and say, this child is generous toward me. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thanks so much for joining us on this edition of Cross Points. If you have any questions about what you just heard, please call our church office at 714-848-5511. If you are nearby next Sunday, we have services at 9 and 10.30 a.m. Visitors are always welcome at Crosspoint, and we hope you'll choose to worship with us when you're near. Nothing to be